Good morning. Good to see you all this morning and uh, excited to dig into Scripture. Uh, this morning we want to talk about a very important theme. Uh, it's the theme of resilience. Um, several years ago, this is quite a few years ago, we, were, we had been in the Washington, D.C. area and we were transitioning to Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, part of that move involved uh, moving my wife's uh, piano, which is a, it's an upright grand. But that thing must weigh like 800 pounds. The soundboard, I think, is made of tank armor. And uh, so we called, you know, we're trying to save the cost, so we we're going to move it ourselves. So we called some family and some friends. And I'll never forget, we're, we're getting this thing out the door of the house, up the tailgate into this U-Haul truck. And all of a sudden, the piano started to veer to the one side. And we literally almost dropped this, you know, this piano. And uh, I think we pulled every muscle that we possibly had that day. And I lost a few friends and family that day as well. <laughs> if you ever move a piano, just hire movers, okay? <laughs> but friends, we've got to be resilient. You know, in many ways, as a church, we're in the midst of a, of a major transition. And so it's so important that we continue to, to unite and to support each other through this transition. And this morning, to learn together this theme of resilience, how we can build resilience, not only corporately, but also individually as well, that we would, we would learn the art of resilience so that we can do all that God wants to do in and through us. Um, I also just remember so clearly, this was back in 2014, and I don't know if any of you do any dirt bike riding. I have a dirt bike, and with dirt bikes, you can accelerate, but if you hold the throttle open too long, the engine will start to bog out. And I went through a time where almost like a lightning rod experience, I went through some hardships and some stress, and I started to bog out. And I literally was off my feet for like a, a good month, just trying to sort through and recover from that. But you know who was really a source of encouragement? Some folks in our community group at the church, and also Pastor Jeff. He took time to listen, to pray for me, and to support me in that season. Um, but it's so important. Some of you are here struggling Maybe you're starting to kind of burn out or bog out. You've kind of been overwhelmed with the pressures and the stress and the friction of life. And maybe you're overwhelmed. We're seeing it a lot in my role at Dallas Seminary and overseeing one of their programs there. We work a lot with students and we see some that really wrestle through hardship. And then we see others that, that they have this resilience about them. And over the last 15 years, just interviewing students and working with them, I've seen two common characteristics of resilience. And I want us to, to walk through those themes through three central passages this morning to encourage us in our journey through hardship to find resilience. But before we move into the scripture, let's just once again pause and pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to his truth. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would help build in us a resilience, uh, Lord, no matter what we go through, a resilient faith of trust in you, dependence on you in all the journey. And so, Father, we pray that you would just speak to us now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know the first characteristic I've observed working with hundreds of students all over the world in this area of resilience through hardship is they kind of ooze this Romans 8.28 verse, choosing to trust God no matter the circumstance. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The first thing here, it's emphasized that Paul says is we know. It's not we think. It's not we hypothesize. It's not we wonder. We know what Paul is conveying in this passage is an absolute unbending truth that we can have full confidence in. There's absolute certainty in this truth. It's something verified, something we can hold on to. Unwavering, unchanging, unbending truth. We can go to the bank on it, be confident in it, be assured by it. We can rest in it. This truth of trusting a good God. You may have heard the story of a rancher in East Texas and he left this unusual request to the funeral director and, and he said to him, he said, you know, when I die, I want to be buried in my trusty old pickup truck. And the undertaker tried to talk him out of this bizarre request, but to no avail. It's like this, said the rancher. I ain't never seen a hole that old truck couldn't get me out of. <laughs> we have a good God. And Paul's saying, you can trust him. It's an absolute truth that we know we can do that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So we can trust God in all things. This is important. It's not in just the, some of the things or the little things or the easy things. It's not just the impossible things. It's not just the wonderful things. But in all things, in every kind of life event or circumstance, and experience. In other words, this principle of trust that Paul talks about is not only absolutely true, it's absolutely comprehensive. It's all-encompassing truth that can be applied to every area of my life. Think about that. That there's no area outside the whole range of life events that we might encounter that this truth cannot be applied to. I think back to our years in, in Washington, D.C., and I, I was called to a, a church uh, in, in the northern Virginia area. And within the first few months of going on staff, I learned from the founding pastor that he intended to leave. <laughs> and I was like shocked, you know, and I wasn't expecting that. And so I still remember a couple weeks up to when he was going to leave the church. This is around, two, this is the 2000, early 2000s. Uh, and... Um, a lot of us on the team, we were really nervous. Like, what's going to happen to the church? You know, what, what, what do we do? And we're, I was really worried. I mean, I remember where I wouldn't sleep at night because I was worried so much about it. And um, I'll never forget, two weeks, around two weeks before his departure, we're in the office, and this card comes in the mail. And we're going through the mail. We open the card up, and it's this really nice thank you note. And it says something like, you know, uh, dear church, we wanted to let you know that some members that are part of your church have been the glue that have held our company together. And we're grateful for them. And we thought, wow, this is incredible. The Lord's reminding us that he's with us, you know, and we were encouraged. But then there was 
another page to flip in the card. And when we flipped it, it was a gift from this company for $100,000. And God doesn't always work that way, but in that moment of crisis and transition and change that was overwhelming, God was reminding us that we can trust him, that we need to choose to trust him, not to worship our problem, not to be so glued to our circumstance that we neglect to trust him in his goodness and in his power. Um, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. I love the NIV translation of this where it emphasizes that when all things are working together for the good, it's actually a good God who's doing this work. And that word for work, it gives this idea of God unceasingly laboring for his very best in my life. You know, we think about it, right? We love God because he first loved us. We're loved by God and called by him. We are God's child saved from sin, adopted by grace through faith. You know, I think for for Debbie and I and being parents, you know, and raising our kids and they're, they're growing so fast. But every season, there's new ways that we're advocating for them. I mean, we do everything we possibly can to see them succeed. And the latest thing with one of our sons is working on college applications. Why do they have so many essays nowadays for young people? I don't know. But we do, and you do as well. And I hear too, as your kids get older, that they're always your baby, even when they grow up and have their own children. But we advocate as parents and we show love in these different stages of life. And this is exactly what God does for us in an even greater way. God labors for our good. He prioritizes our good. God is working, he's toiling, he's tilling, he's laboring for his very best in the lives of his children, you and me. Friends, do you believe that this morning? Do we really believe it right now in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of that conflict, in the midst of that decision, in the midst of that setback, that God is right there and he's good and he's working and toiling and laboring for each one. Incredible. And then this text continues, for those who are called according to his purpose. God has a divine design for every situation I encounter, though I may not always understand the mystery of it. God works according to his purpose. It's never random. It's never by accident. It's never without design and direction. I think of when we added a second level to our home. I think we went through, I don't know, 15 napkin, you know, blueprints. And then after those 15, we sent it to the architect. And then we went through probably another 50 (laughs) after that. But when we finished those blueprints, every mark on that blueprint was intentional and it was by design. This is the way God works. He's not random. It's never by accident. He's working out his purposes. And there's a hope that we can find in that. I've been reading this book here by 
Carlton Marshall called We Are Just Clay, God's Hand in Life's Hard Circumstances. Uh, Carlton worked for the Dallas Police Department for 21 years. And then he was called on a SWAT operation. And at close range was shot by, with a shotgun and nearly died. They really didn't think that he would make it. But in it, he chronicles his resilience and what God taught him being now, you know, severely disabled. And this is just a short excerpt that I wanted to share with you. He said this, he said, God knew this shooting would not stop me from turning back to him. In fact, it would be under this distress that I would, instead of relying upon myself, turn to him and lean upon him. Satan did not know the outcome of his action. You see, Satan is not omniscient. He is only a created being, and as such, he does not know everything, and thus is a bit of a gambler. He plays the odds and thinks he knows what the outcome will be. He's a master gambler, and he tries to manipulate us by telling us various lies and using information he's accumulated on our weaknesses, which are his statistical odds, in order to deceive us and cause us to fall. But God, being omniscient, knows all things, and he allows things to happen for his purpose. And that purpose will work together for good for his children, even those less than obedient. He allowed my tribulation knowing I would endure it and become more focused on him than ever. Friends, some of us this morning are going through some tremendous hardship. And there's some element of tears, of hurt, of loss, of mystery. But God wants to use it to to draw us closer to him to deepen our faith that we would choose to trust him no matter the circumstance and build the kind of resilience that he wants to build in us to accomplish his good and pleasing will and to help us become more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Resilience is found by those who grow to trust God no matter the circumstance. But you know, I'm working with all these Uh, leaders over the years, there's a second characteristic that's shared. They learn to put on Christ-like humility in the spirit of Philippians chapter two, our second passage of three passages we want to work through this morning. Put on Christ-like humility. It's not just choosing to trust God, but it's putting on Christ-like humility that builds this resilience. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9 reads this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of human men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name 
that is above every name. Uh, when I was in college, I had traveled back home and was out in the evening visiting with friends, and it was pretty late. I came home. My dad was still up watching television, and I sat next to him on the couch. And I grew up on a sixth-generation farm in rural Canada. And, uh, you know, on the farm, the, the men are usually, like, pretty strong and not as expressive. My mom was more of the expressive one in the family. So it was a little bit surprising when I sat next to my dad, and he started talking to me about these things. And, and uh, he said, Scott, he said, you know, you have a really, a really good mom. And so I, I listened, and uh, he was like, you know, she, um, when we were first married especially, she really put up with me. Uh, you have to understand, my parents met at 17 at a youth group event, and by the time they were 18, they got married. By the time they were 21, they had three children. And um, my, my mom tells the story. They were at the youth group event. It was before seatbelt laws were in place, and they all piled into the back seat. And my mom happened to sit on my dad's lap, and she was so nervous, she passed gas. And, uh, and so she, uh, she says, uh, you know, we've always had good chemistry. <laughs> and, and my dad's right. My mom is a great mom. But what my dad said for him to be able to, in his own quiet way, recognize his weaknesses and to demonstrate this kind of humility uh, has really uh, marked my life. Christ-like humility, it's in the leadership literature. If you're into reading leadership books and all that, they talk a lot about humility. Um, you may have heard of Edgar Schein wrote a book, and he's like the Howard Hendricks of MIT, and he's distilled all of his years of consulting and organizational leadership, and his book title is called Humble Inquiry. And it's a good leadership principle, but you know what's really incredible? It's an attribute of God. Humility is an attribute of God. It's the very nature of God is wrapped up in humility. Uh, a colleague and friend, Dr. Abraham Joseph, in his work toward a Christian theology of humility, he wrote this. He said, the Old Testament reveals a God who not only exalted in his majesty, but is also humble to choose, rescue, and dwell with the lowly in covenantal relationship. The New Testament confirms this through the incarnation, the full and final revelation of God in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, humility is an attribute of God and it's most clearly exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to be imitators of that humility, to put on Christ-like humility. Another book that you would really, uh, would be a great read if you haven't read it yet by Tim Keller. It's a short book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he's reflecting on this theme of humility. And I think he's also reflecting on some of the works of C.S. Lewis and some others. And this is what he writes. He says, true gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. It's not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Friends, these are two characteristics that if we're going to really build resilience in our life, then we've got to grow to trust God no matter the circumstance well, we're learning to put on Christ-like humility. And what this does, this fuels our ability to not only find our way through hardship, but then to joyfully embrace it time and time again, which leads us to our third 
point in third passage that we receive hardship with joy in reading from James 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Friends, we can receive hardship with joy because it can be regenerative. It makes us more like Christ. It helps us to mature. And there's this dynamic of this interplay of strengths and weaknesses that are quite profound. But there's this tension that we have to work through with humility and ego. And there's a chart up here of a, think of a braking mechanism. So if we think engineering, think of a braking mechanism. So traditional engineers, when they're working on the brake for a car, their main goal would be one thing, and that would be to dissipate the heat and friction produced by the brakes because they don't want to melt the tire. But what's happened recently with the development of hybrid vehicles and EV electric vehicles is these engineers have been saying, wait a second, we've got all this heat and friction. We've got all this stress and all this kinetic energy. Is there not a way that we can take that and actually use that to regenerate the battery or recharge the battery. Friends, in the spiritual life, we go through hardship. And one thing I'll know, I'll say I'm allergic to pain. And probably we all would agree. But sometimes, isn't it, it's in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the hardship that God does his greatest work in our lives. But yet our mindset and the culture that we live is we just want to dissipate it. Make it go away, Lord. (laughs) But what we're learning in trusting God, in putting on Christ-like humility, that this is critical to be able to build resilience where we take the stress, whether it's a crisis of life and we slam the brakes on, or whether it's the stop and grow everyday ordinary traffic. But we take all of that kinetic energy, all of that stress, all of that hardship, and with God's help, we transform it into a way that transforms our lives. And so you can see kind of like the brake shoes would represent our strengths and our weaknesses. And we go through life and there's an interplay between them. When we take those strengths and weaknesses and we filter them through Christ-like humility, we remain adaptable, teachable, and curious. But if our pride gets in the way, we become rigid We become unteachable. And sometimes we just become really fragile. So this morning as we conclude the message, I want us to pray this prayer together. And for those of you at the back that can't read it, then I just invite you just to listen. Um, But this is a prayer as a church family that we need to be praying for for one another and that God would build in us a resilience. Let's read this together. Compelled by his love, I am growing to trust God no matter the circumstance, joyfully embracing the daily grind and crises of life by putting on Christ-like humility to learn the lessons God has for me by the power of the Spirit 
with the support of community for the benefit of others and the glory of God. Friends, this morning, I don't know what you're going through. For some of us here this morning, we're carrying a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. But we have a good God who's so much bigger. And I want to challenge, if there's, if there's that fear just this morning as you're praying, as we prepare hearts for communion, give that fear to the Lord. Others of us, we're carrying a lot of pride. If someone just says one little thing that our, our hair's crooked, we melt like butter on the stove. And maybe you're wrestling through that. Let's bring that before the Lord. Uh, some of us this morning, we're trusting God and we've grown in putting on Christ-like humility. But man, we just hate hardship. And Lord, I'm mad at you. Why are you putting me through this? Why are we going through this now? And we have trouble receiving hardship with joy. Maybe that's where you are. But as we prepare our hearts for communion, let's ask the Lord to speak to us. And for those of us who are believers, we invite you to come forward and to take the bread and to dip it in the cup, remembering his death, burial, and resurrection and his great sacrificial love for us. Um, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the reminder of how good you are and how much you love us. Lord, help us to trust you regardless of what is happening around us. Father, help us to joyfully embrace the stress of life in your strength and in a spirit and posture of humility as a lifelong learner, Lord. And I pray even in the midst of this transition, Lord, it's a lot for us as a church family and also for Pastor Jeff and Mandy and the Fritchie family. Lord, uh, we're just so blessed, uh, uh, Lord, by the mutual love and care. And we just pray for your protection, your shepherding uh, over all of us, Lord. Um, and Father, we just pray that you would help us to, to build a resilience in a way that would be pleasing to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.